The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? People present with a full range and variety of beliefs around their bodies and pregnancy and come to us for care with whole lives that involve families and you know their careers and their hopes and dreams and aspirations that we know nothing about. And so as providers, all we need to focus on is providing compassionate care, whatever that looks like, whether it be helping the patient continue a pregnancy or helping a patient um, seek abortion care. At the end of the day, politicians need to stay out of my exam room because they don't know what's best. In fact, the patient knows what's best for them. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Dr. Mira Shaw. When Planned Parenthood first reached out to me and asked if Dr. Shaw could come on my podcast, my answer was obviously yes. We know that when it comes to politics, I am more left-leaning, but this issue shouldn't be about politics. It shouldn't be about left, right, or center. This is about reproductive justice and about women's health care and the healthcare of all people with uteruses for that matter. And as someone who has had to make lots of really tough decisions when it came to her reproductive healthcare, sometimes choosing to end the pregnancy, sometimes having to have a DNC, even though I didn't want one, right? Because my baby didn't have a heartbeat and I wasn't passing it on its own and also choosing to continue with a super high risk pregnancy that lots of women would have chosen to abort before 12 weeks. And so I've been through the spectrum of all of these different scenarios. And I think that the best thing that we can do right now is get as informed as possible on what abortion is, what it isn't, really like strip down all of the political, the word that comes to mind is like hoopla, like all of the stuff, all of the energy around it. And just talk about the fundamentals of abortion access and also just what Planned Parenthood does in the United States, because it's not just an abortion clinic. It is so much more than that. I know that this can be a really heated topic. And so I just ask my listeners to go in with an open mind and to welcome Dr. Shaw on the podcast. And yeah, I hope that you have a couple of takeaways from this week's episode. And if not, that's okay too. I'm just grateful that you sat in the discomfort, you know, maybe that's the takeaway. Like you sat in the discomfort of this conversation and you went into it with an open mind, which is huge. And maybe you have a takeaway or you don't. I 
know that for me, I feel like I need to be doing all that I can to talk about this issue because it's something that is near and dear to my heart. And it's something that I feel like really matters. And so this is the least that I can do. And we talk about what you can do in this episode too with uh, Dr. Mira. So with that, here is this week's episode with Dr. Mira Shaw. I want to preface this conversation by saying that I know that this is not something that's easy to talk about. This is a conversation where I'm going to ask my audience to be willing to sit in the discomfort of this conversation because I know that it brings up a lot of feelings for people. And I know for me, it it has too. And that anytime I've shared my personal experience with my reproductive health care, there's been a slew of DMs of, of people who have lots of different opinions. And I'm just going to say first and foremost that I'm a woman who has had an abortion, multiple abortions. I'm a woman who had, you know, a termination as a teenager at 16 as a heroin addict before I got sober. I'm a woman who then got pregnant after multiple losses and got the diagnosis of trisomy 13 and was advised to terminate her pregnancy. And I decided not to, but at any point would have wanted to if my life was at risk, even if that meant a late term abortion. And I'm a woman who just recently had another loss that didn't end up passing and I needed a DNC in order to save my life so I didn't go septic. And so reproductive health care is something that that literally is health care. And it's frustrating to me that we're even having to like have these conversations because somehow along the way, this became an issue of, I would say, like perceived morality where the lines got really blurry between the separation of church and state all of a sudden and where a lot of people who don't have uteruses have now been able to advocate and legislate in a way that is just unconstitutional in my opinion. But before we just start, I just want to say real quick that, girl, you're my hero. I I don't think I could be on the front lines advocating for this. I'm sure it has not been easy. So why don't you just give us a brief background about yourself, your training, why you wanted to become a, a doctor and your your work at Planned Parenthood? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about something that I'm really passionate about and that I've dedicated my career to. So I'm Dr. Mira Shaw. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a board certified family medicine physician, and I have specialized in sexual and reproductive health care for all genders. I provide prenatal care, abortion care, vasectomies, HIV care, the full spectrum of sexual reproductive health care. I am the chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood Hudson Peconic in New York State, and I am also the medical director of Whole Women's Health Alliance in South Bend, Indiana, where I fly monthly to provide abortion care. You have your plate full. I mean, my hat's off to you, but you can clearly tell that this is 
something that you love and that you're really passionate about, which is an amazing, amazing thing when you, you know, are, are inspired to do this work. I think I want to start with this because it's interesting. I saw someone talking about this on their Instagram and it made me realize how many people are just really not informed about how conception works and how our bodies work. And this is something that I think is important for people to understand. So if you're a healthy person with a uterus, then every month and you're of a reproductive age, every month you have a cycle. And the start of your cycle is day one of your period. And the end is the day that you get your next period. Most cycles are like 27 to 30 ish days long. And so in the middle of that cycle is when you ovulate. And then you can get pregnant in that period of ovulation, but you're not actually technically pregnant or producing pregnancy hormones until that fertilized egg has made its way down in the fallopian tube. If you're having a healthy pregnancy and not an ectopic, which is when the the egg can get implanted in your fallopian tube, life-saving abortions are needed in that circumstance. And then you the the egg ends up implanting in your uterus. You start producing hormones and bam, you've got a positive pregnancy test, whatever, a couple of days after your period. So when you're technically four weeks pregnant, most women don't even know that they're pregnant. First of all, you've only really been pregnant for like a couple of days. But I think that it's just crazy like that they're in some states that they're pushing this legislation, like no abortions after five weeks or four weeks or whatever it might be. Like most women don't even know that they're pregnant at four or five weeks. Yeah. So most people don't know that they are pregnant that early on. And so by the time that they present for, for care, there's already this, there's already detection of fetal heart tones on the ultrasound, which is the marker at which these anti-abortion politicians are trying to make a cutoff for with regards to who can have an abortion and who cannot. I mean, as a physician, I know that this is pretty absurd, that they're imposing their moral and ethical views around something that needs no moral or ethical attachment, that really the morality and ethics lie in caring for the patient and providing the patient with compassionate care. You know, people present with a full range and variety of beliefs around their bodies and pregnancy and come to us for care with whole lives that involve families and, you know, their careers and their hopes and dreams and aspirations that we know nothing about. And so as providers, all we need to focus on is providing compassionate care, whatever that looks like, whether it be helping the patient continue a pregnancy or helping a patient seek abortion care. Yeah. At the end of the day, politicians need to stay out of my exam room because mm. they don't know what's best. In fact, the patient knows what's best for them. I agree with that. I will also say that it was interesting because when I ended up having this miscarriage, I two things. One, I was offered the abortion pill, but I was told that I technically shouldn't take that before seven weeks. And two, even when I was going to end up needing 
like a DNC, same thing. It's like, I feel like the general consensus was we don't actually offer abortions until a little bit later in the pregnancy anyway. Is the, what is the health reason for that? So, so technically, I'm not sure, you know, where you got care, who was providing Mm -hmm. you um, with care, but abortion can be done at any point in pregnancy, the majority, and I, and I can elaborate on that further. So the majority of abortions occur early in pregnancy. So in the first trimester, so medication abortion, we know is safe up to 11 weeks. And that is, you know, what we provide for our patients. If if they're wanting medication abortion and they are 11 weeks in zero days and under, then we can safely, and they have no other contraindications, then we can safely provide medication abortion. If a patient would rather have a procedural abortion, then we can provide that at any point up until viability in all 50 states and according to Roe, which is currently the law of the land. Now, many states provide restrictions around abortion access, putting kind of arbitrary barriers in place to prevent people from seeking abortion care. Many states have expanded abortion access, such as New York State. The Reproductive Health Act was passed in early 2019 that allowed folks to have what we call later abortions. So actually the phrase late-term abortion is something that the anti-abortion movement has created, and Mm. that's not actually a medical term. And so later abortion is abortion later in pregnancy. And people in New York are able to have later abortion under certain circumstances. And progressive states across the country are making a lot of movement forward to expand access similar to what New York has already done. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Coterie. If you have a baby with sensitive skin or even eczema, you know how difficult it is when they develop diaper rash. Enter Coterie. Coterie diapers and wipes are made with the most gentle and safe materials to keep your baby comfortable and at ease. With all of the questionable materials and baby products these days, parenting can be scary. You want to keep your baby safe and protected without sacrificing their comfort. Coterie is the highest performing diaper on the market for infants and toddlers with up to two times more liquid capacity and up to four times faster moisture wicking versus other brands. Your baby stays drier longer and Coterie parents report fewer nighttime diaper rash changes, which can lead to better sleep quality, not just for you, but for your baby too. Coterie diapers are made with clothing grade materials, giving your baby a cashmere-like feel so they're comfortable for longer day and night wear. They are dermatologist tested and only use the cleanest ingredients plus coterie wipes are national eczema association approved i know that i got gabby my sister hooked onto these diapers she plans on using them with her newest baby that's due in the next couple weeks and she uses them with her son right now coterie is partnering with my podcast to offer you 20 percent off your first order plus free shipping at coterie.com slash reality that's coterie spelled c-o-t-e-r-i-e dot com slash reality for 20 percent off and free shipping coterie.com slash reality. Hi guys, welcome to Digging Deep. I'm Dr. Sasha Shokrin, the relational doctor, but more importantly, a human just like you with a story that continues to unfold. Each of our lives is compiled of stories and my job is to help you detangle those stories. 
As a psychologist, I'm here to tell you that growth is never linear and that life is full of highs, lows, and everything that exists in between. My plan is to dig deeper into the stories that will inspire us, move us, and remind us that we're never really alone. Don't miss a new episode of Digging Deep every Monday, anywhere you listen to podcasts. I definitely want to talk to you about viability because that's Uh a tricky subject that a lot of people disagree on. But it's interesting because so with my second very much so wanted pregnancy, uh, again, came after multiple losses, a whole year of trying, really wanted another baby, did the blood work at 10 weeks, comes back positive for trisomy 13. My doctor advises me at that point to either terminate the pregnancy or have a CVS test done. I -hmm. followed up and did a CVS test, which I will say it's so interesting because if you really are you know, pro-life and for this baby, then please start advocating for universal health care because my CVS test was not covered. Even though I had a positive blood test, I ended up having to pay out of pocket thousands of dollars. Most people Mm -hmm. don't have access to thousands of dollars to have a CVS test. I'm so grateful that I did because I might have just ended that pregnancy with my daughter who ended up being really actually healthy. I had, um, a rare circumstance where my placenta had different DNA than my baby did. But my my CVS test came back positive and my doctor was the one who said either terminate now at, at 13 weeks or you're going to have to go on with this pregnancy or find care elsewhere because I don't perform, in quotes, late-term abortions. And I was like, uh, okay, well, we're going to proceed with this pregnancy and follow up and do an amnio at the advice of my geneticist, the specialist that I was seeing at Cedar sinai who advised me to wait until 19 weeks. So at this point, guys, I'm halfway through my pregnancy with a very wanted child who is measuring 19 weeks. And I didn't get the results from that amnio until I was 21 weeks. So I spent half of my pregnancy thinking that I was either going to have a stillborn or a baby that only lived for probably a couple of hours because trisomy 13, those babies are not compatible with life. So, and thankfully she's fine. It was a very rare circumstance where the tests were wrong. The amnio showed that it was negative, but the question of viability scientifically, does life begin at that heartbeat or once a fetus is birthed and born and can survive outside of of needing the the womb and, and the mother to live? So that's a great question. And, you know, I think that this conversation piece is brought up a lot by the anti-abortion movement because they want to be able to create all these cutoffs in order to prevent access to care. So as a physician, I can tell you when pregnancy begins, and I actually think you did a really great job of describing, you know, conception being when the egg and the sperm um, unite, and then the embryo then travels into the uterine cavity and implants into the lining. And it's at that point, it's, it's, it's at that exact point that the hormones start to be secreted and then detected by a pregnancy test. So that's really great. And so as a physician, I can tell you when pregnancy begins. I can also tell you when viability is, which is around 24 weeks. Have babies survived outside of the womb at 23 weeks, at 22 weeks? Yes, but not without great risk, Right. Not, not without prolonged NICU stays and, you know, 
long periods of time where the where the baby needs significant medical intervention. And so when life begins is more abstract. And if you ask, you know, if you ask a panel of experts, of leaders in, you know, every religious and philosophical movement, you're not going to get a general consensus. And even within a specific religion or a specific set of beliefs, you're going to find subsets of varying degrees. And so, you know, I'm a the daughter of immigrants. My parents are from India. We grew up with a religion, with two actually religions. My mother is Hindu. My father is Jain. And, you know, those religious philosophies taught me how to view the world in a certain way. And I actually write about that in my book um, that I published a couple of years ago about abortion. And what I've learned from that experience, from my own lived experience, is that people come from such different backgrounds and we can't create policy that's 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 embedded that is that that originates from one set of views because what happens is that you know you're ignoring so many other people and what their beliefs are so the approach to abortion care should be that of healthcare, right? Like we should keep it in the realm of healthcare because that's exactly what it is. And, and you know, I'm terrified of what's happening right now. We saw this coming. We knew it was the writing on the wall, but the leak has just confirmed, you know, our, our suspicions around re- reversal of Roe v. Wade, which is anticipated to happen this summer. And as a physician, I'm terrified because I know how important abortion care is for so many people. It is vital. It is, it's life life saving. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that gets really, it gets really lost in the shuffle of all of this. I think everyone um, can get very emotional about this and feel like, oh, well, this is just, you know, people who are morally reckless and get pregnant because they're having unprotected sex and they just are using abortion as a form of birth control. And I, you know, the bottom line for me is that I honestly don't care. I, I read this post and this changed my perspective. Even the conversation around, well, if she's raped, she should be able to have an abortion. If it's incest, she should be able to have an abortion. And it's basically telling women that the only time that we get autonomy and sovereignty over our own bodies is when someone else has done something to us. And in that moment, I just kind of had this realization that I don't care why you need an abortion, whether it's because you got pregnant by your boyfriend and one night you just you guys decided not to have protection and you're not ready to be a mom or it's a life saving medical emergency. I don't care or anything in between. The bottom line for me is that like, I don't believe that restricting abortion is going to restrict abortions at all. It is just going to put people with uteruses lives at risk because abortion will continue. Absolutely. 
and, and we've seen that. So SB8 was passed in Texas in September of 2021, and it's still in place today. It's been challenged many times in the courts, but it, unfortunately, it's still in place. And we've seen that the majority of people who were who have been denied abortion care in the state of Texas have been accessing pills online through vetted sources. So it's not, a, it's not you know, it's an outlet that I want to lift not put down. Sourcing pills on your own can be very safe. It's been proven to be very safe through a lot of really high quality research. And then a fewer number of people have been able to travel. And we've actually seen patients from Texas in our New York health centers. That said, that is, you know, that's not the majority of people. The people who are able to travel are white people and people of privilege and people with resources. The majority of people who are going to be impacted by these abortion bans are people of color and low-income people. So these bans are racist. That, that is what they are. And they're rooted in white supremacy. And it is that is something that our movement has recognized and we are calling out every day. Yeah. I agree. And I will also say that it worries me a little bit with ordering these pills online, I think it's a great thing. But if you don't, if something does go wrong and you are scared to go to the emergency room or to a doctor's office to receive, once again, health care, life-saving health care, because something is going wrong, say that pregnancy was ectopic and they didn't know because they weren't able to go and get a scan. Say, who knows what it might Absolutely. be. There Absolutely. are risks with this form of health care. And thinking about policing people's bodies when they take this pill or not feeling safe enough to go to the doctor's office. I don't know how you can claim to be pro-life when you don't care about the mother's life and, and where women are literally scared to go into a hospital because, you know, they've decided to end their pregnancies. Absolutely. And that fear works both ways. And this is exactly what the anti-abortion movement is trying to do. They're trying to instill fear in the providers, mm. right? Like trying to scare them into, you know, not addressing immediate urgent concerns for patients because, you know, if they end a pregnancy that's a topic, then that is that abortion? Is that not abortion? Mm -hmm. We don't know. So we're just not going to do it because we're scared of getting in trouble. And then these bans instill fear among patients because they're scared if they're, if they're miscarrying and they're hemorrhaging and need emergent care, they may fear criminalization, retaliation yeah. in, in the healthcare setting. And this is, and this is, we're already seeing some of the, the bad outcomes of, you know, again, right now, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land, but the headlines have made it so confusing for patients. Mm -hmm. Our call center has been getting calls. Our patients are coming to the health centers and asking like, can I have my abortion today? Or is, is abortion still legal? And a colleague of mine actually called me the other day saying, Mira, you're not going to believe this. I literally had a patient come to New York to see me for management of an ectopic pregnancy because a provider in Texas refused to treat the patient for an ectopic pregnancy with methotrexate because she was scared that she was going to get in trouble for yeah. doing an abortion. And that's a um, life-saving procedure, you guys. Absolutely. If you do not remove a, an ectopic pregnancy, the mother will die. Absolutely. Yeah. Ectopic pregnancies carry a high risk of rupture, yeah. infertility, and death. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we always approach ectopic pregnancy emergently. Yeah, it's an emergent situation. 
Yeah. yeah. I had a friend of mine who was pregnant, didn't know it was ectopic, started bleeding really heavily. And sure enough, she had gone septic. Her right Philippian tube had ruptured. She ended up losing it, needing emergent surgery. These are, you know, I don't even know how that's even an argument. Like an ectopic pregnancy is not a viable pregnancy. You're not going to remove that that implanted embryo from a, you know, Philippian tube and re-implant it in a uterus. That's a life-saving procedure. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I do want to clarify, though, is that I'm not saying that ectopic pregnancy is necessarily, you know, going to fall under the category of abortion. I think that what's happening is so confusing. And there are these areas of reproductive care that kind of fall into the gray. And so because of that fear, people are just, you know, people are either denying care or avoiding care because they don't want to be criminalized. But it feels like everything's going to become a gray area of care because if some states are saying, well, in the case of rape or incest, but now you need to prove that you are raped. Right. You need to prove that you are raped in order to have this abortion, right? Which and is, what a yeah. dehumanizing and awful thing that you have to go through. And so now you're going to have lots of gray area where ultimately the, like you said, the 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 government government needs to get out of your doctor's office. It's like as doctors, you take an oath to practice medicine, regardless of what your outside beliefs are, right? Absolutely. I have have a very close family friend of mine who's the head of a major hospital here in California. I don't agree with him politically or on his religious affiliation, but I know for a fact that he practices medicine, period. He does not care. His views on, you know, life and you know, his morality and all of those things go out the window when he's practicing healthcare. And it just gets really fuzzy and really sticky when you start putting these weird parameters around who can get an abortion and who can't and what circumstances are valid and what aren't. Absolutely. And I want to, I want to, I have two things to say in response to that. Absolutely, completely agree with you. And putting these arbitrary parameters is like what the anti-abortion movement is really good at. You know, they'll say, you know, in rape or incest, let me tell you something, the vast majority of my patients seeking abortion care do not fall under one of those two categories. And also if anybody knows anything about sexual assault, oftentimes those scenarios and those cases are never reported, Right or they may be reported years after the fact, right? So telling someone that if a pregnancy results from from an episode of sexual assault and and in order to get abortion care that they have to report it right then and there, that that could be potentially exacerbating trauma for that patient. So it, it, it doesn't even make sense. And then the second thing I wanted to say is that, you know, that I really, I just want to point out that the anti-abortion movement is made up of extreme religious affiliations. So it is possible to be religious and believe in the provision of abortion care and abortion access. Like it's not like one or the other. Yeah. They don't have just to be yes. mutually exclusive. Absolutely. And so, yes. So I, as I mentioned, I'm the medical director of a, a cute little clinic in South Bend, Indiana, and they actually had the clinic blessed yesterday 
with leaders from many different denominations. And just to highlight that, look, like these are leaders in, you know, like Christianity, Judaism, and they are here blessing this clinic and also acknowledging that abortion care is a human right and is a very ethical thing to do in one's life if that individual wants it. And it was, it's, it's, it's really incredible to see, to see that. And I, I've been sharing it with friends all day saying, look how awesome this is. And it's an amazing thing where when we can have enough emotional intelligence and maturity to go, hey, I might not get an abortion based off of my religious beliefs, but I still believe that abortion is a human right. And again, for me in that situation, when I want people to understand like, or to try to even envision like the the heaviness of this, like I wanted my daughter so bad, like, and Mm -hmm. I can't imagine a life without her. And at the same time, if my life was ever at risk during that pregnancy, I would not leave behind my husband and my three-year-old daughter for that pregnancy, period, period. That's just the way that it is. And I have every right to say that. And that's, you know, from, you know, a mother who, again, really wanted to be pregnant. But again, it's health care. It's it's my health and my well-being. And at the end of the day, that conversation should be held between me and my doctor and not me and the government. Absolutely. And unfortunately, this all started out as a political ploy to get a certain group of voters to the polls. Yeah. And now it has turned into a major talking point for, you know, certain political parties. And, and it's primarily being advocated for by cis white men. Yes. Right. There are some women, Amy Coney Barrett, for example, right. Who have historically supported anti-abortion legislation, but it's, it's, it has become, and, and this it's really hard for me to watch because abortion is an all gender issue. Cis men are beneficiaries of abortion. You know, male children have benefited from their mothers having abortion, right? Because, because of those abortions, Scott Galloway talks about this on his podcast that, you know, because my mother had an abortion, I was able to go to college. I was able to like have all of these things that I otherwise would not have been able to have if she had not had that abortion. So Abortion access is good for society. It is, it, you know, it is, it is, it should be protected. It should be accessible, you know, without barriers and without restrictions. And as a physician, I stand by that. Statistically, Republican women and Democratic women both get abortions. Statistically, Absolutely. it doesn't matter your religious affiliation. There are Christians who are getting abortions and there are Ju- people of Jewish faith and other faiths that are getting abortions. And I've done, I've know- done an abortion for one of the protesters outside of my clinic. Oh, that's amazing. I, I mean, yeah. I treated her with respect and compassion yeah. just as I would anybody else. I'm so glad that she had that option. And mm-hmm. I, I say amazing because this, the amount of, the amount of pain and fear that she must have been in to make that decision was great, but she chose herself over mm-hmm. all of that, which is yep. huge. And I will say that we know that there are lots of Republican male senators who have had um, abortions. So, but I want to I want to say two things because we're going to go over time if I if I don't get these. These are really important. 
One, Planned Parenthood. I was just talking to my producer about this. Planned Parenthood offers so many other services outside of abortion access, you guys. I remember being 13 years old and I, or 14 rather, knowing I was going to have my first sexual experience. I didn't have a parent I could talk to. I made an appointment with my aunt to go to Planned Parenthood and I received reproductive advice, reproductive health care, and it was, you know, STD screens. I have done it all at Planned Parenthood and it is a place where I have received lots of guidance regarding my overall health, whether that's, you know, a breast exam, pap smears, HPV shots, access to birth control. Am I forgetting anything? What else does Planned Parenthood offer? My affiliate in New York, we provide prenatal care. I do vasectomies. We provide hormones for trans and non-binary patients, PrEP, PEP, and rapid initiation of ART for HIV prevention and management. We are always expanding our menu of services and it's really based on what the patients tell us, right? So when I first started at Planned Parenthood several years ago, a lot of patients were asking me, hey, do you provide vasectomy or, you know, I'm I am underinsured. I have Medicaid. I can't find a provider who will, who will do my vasectomy or I'm undocumented, uninsured. You know, I want to pay out of pocket, but the provider down the street is saying it's, you know, three, $4,000. And so, you know, I started a vasectomy program at our Planned Parenthood and now we provide low cost to free vasectomies for our patients. So we're always listening to our patients, expanding the care that we provide because that's what we're all about. So I ended up having a pulmonary embolism after the birth of my second daughter almost died. Thankful to be alive. Thankful for the young female doctor who finally listened to me because my OB wrote it off as breastfeeding pain. The doctor in the urgent care told me I had pulled a muscle during labor and delivery. And then finally I went straight to an ER and this young female doctor looked at me with my newborn baby on my chest and I hit chest pain on the thing. And she just, I, I swear, she ripped that baby right off of me and <laughs> passed her on to my husband, got me in a CT scan within five minutes. I had three clots in my right lung and my lung was like literally collapsing. It was really scary. But so, but that doctor's, you know, so my husband, I couldn't do birth control after, and I had had a negative reaction to a copper IUD before, and it didn't tolerate it very well. Also, IUDs can be pretty freaking painful for some women, and it, it was for me. But anyway, so my um, now ex-husband ended up getting a vasectomy and they're like, it's reversible if you want more kids down the line. It's not reversible in the sense where, you know, all, like, an IUD or an explanon is you yeah. just, you know, remove it, it and then your fertility immediately returns, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's guaranteed with vasectomy. If somebody goes into a vasectomy thinking that it's reversible, my first thing to say to them is, I don't know if a, a vasectomy is for you because finding number one, finding somebody who will do the reversal is really difficult. There aren't many doctors in the country who will do it. Second of all, it doesn't always work. Third of all, it's like anywhere from three to $5,000. So it might be best to look into an alternative method if you are thinking that you can just reverse it down the road because that's not always. Yeah. Even more reason why access to abortion is really important because some people can't do IUDs or some people can't do birth control. All right. And lastly, um, this all feels really overwhelming. <laughs> 
I feel really, I mean, there is so much information out there. Then this leak comes forward. You know, you said we've seen this coming for years. We absolutely have any, I mean, if you didn't, if you've, if you listen to politicians, I mean, their big ticket, you know, things are like reproductive health care is up there, like top three things. And so like we knew that this fight was coming and I know that a lot of us feel hopeless and like there is no other like that it's just going to happen and this is what it is. Is there hope? Like what can we start doing now aside from like talking about it with our family, friends, on social media, things like that. Yeah. So the reason that these politicians are in power are because they're elected officials, right? Like people go to the polls um, and vote them in. That said, voting rights in this country are incredibly problematic and there's a lot of voter suppression and gerrymandering that, that occurs that prevents people from really having a voice. So Voting is the best thing that you can do to let your views be heard. Supporting organizations that are working on the ground. So, you know, I mentioned that that folks in the 26 states where abortion is expected to be banned, those folks are going to really be turning to the internet, right? Because what do you do when, when, when you don't know something or you need something? You immediately Google it. It's just part of our culture now. And so folks are Googling, you know, where can I access an abortion if I'm like in the middle of, uh, in Texas, in Oklahoma, and there's a lot of traffic onto websites such as Plan C, um, Aid Access, and the M&A Hotline. So it's a hotline of physicians that will help people who are, you know, managing their abortion at home who may have further questions and are, you know, and, and they, they basically are on call around the clock to take, to, to, to provide support to people. There's also organizations such as the Bridget Alliance that is going to be helping people find local lodging in progressive states. And they're also going to be helping people travel to progressive states to receive abortion care. But again, I want to emphasize that that is a smaller portion of people. The vast majority of people are not going to have the ability to travel. So these are definitely really, really, really important ways to to, to help the movement right now and to ensure access. But it's unfortunately going to be a really long road. One last question. Do you think that they're going to start restricting plan B? So I've been getting a lot of questions about that. So plan B does not cause abortion. What plan B does is that it delays ovulation. So, and and it doesn't impact an existing pregnancy. So it should not fall within an abortion ban. People should still be able to access plan B or Ella or the copper IUD or the hormonal IUD, because those two are actually actually can be used as emergency contraception if inserted within five days of condomless sex. So there's four methods of plan B. And like I said, you know, they, they don't end an existing pregnancy. That's just not how they work. I mean, you also asked me something that's trying to rationalize the irrational. So I think an abortion ban is completely irrational. So I don't know what they're going to go after next. I mean, but we're going to do everything that we can to help protect those rights for people. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for your time. If people want to learn more, where would you direct them? Following abortion fund, like your local abortion fund is a great place to not only support because they're helping people pay and travel for abortion care, but they also will always have information on social media around kind of what the current state of abortion access is and what's happening. Planned Parenthood also has an incredible Instagram that that always has up-to-date information. So check that out for sure. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. This week's affirmation is, I am courageous enough to start showing up and letting myself be seen. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, follow along with us, leave a review. It means so much to me. There are new episodes of Recovering From Reality every Monday, and you can follow me on social at Recovering From Reality or visit my website, recoveringfromreality.com. 